Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. So if you turn to Colossians chapter 4, if you have a Bible, um, if not, it'll be up on the screen. Colossians chapter 4, verse, uh, we're going to start at verse 2. Um, and we're going to read a few verses here. Colossians 4 and verse 2 starts off with these words. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, devote yourselves to prayer. That word uh, devote is an interesting word. He says, devote yourselves. Let's throw yourself into it, uh, into prayer, being watchful. And thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Pray for us too. In other words, uh, he's not saying that they were going to pray for him. <laughs> so the, the first part of prayer is not even prayer for uh, Paul or prayer for the government or prayer for different things. Instead, this is prayer uh, for themselves. The first order of prayer is not, it's not a tool to get something from God for somebody else. It's essential for your walk. With God, And so that's why Paul says, first off, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then on the prayer list, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. T- today is an opportunity. Make the most of today. Make the most of every opportunity. Touch somebody tell them, make the most of today. Make the most. Today is an opportunity. Make the most of this opportunity. Make the most of it. Don't, don't waste. Don't waste the Sunday. Don't waste the opportunity. Don't waste the moment. It's not every day that God shows up and changes things. It's not every day that the Holy Spirit starts speaking to your heart. Don't, don't take it for granted. The scripture says today is the day of salvation because tomorrow is not. It's just not the day of salvation. <laughs> now, it's not that it's not promised. Of course it's not promised. It's not guaranteed. It might not even be. Today is the day of salvation because if you're going to, get, if you're going to be saved, it's going to be on a day like today. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be on a day like today. If you're going to press into freedom, it's going to be on a day like today. If you're going to lead your family to get closer to God, it's going to be on a day like today. Because today is the day of salvation, which is why Scripture says you ought to listen and obey that word while it is called today. Because when it's no longer called today, your opportunity is over. The window of your opportunity has been closed. Yeah, I, I, man, I... Somebody needs, just needs to hear that right there. You need to... God is not running out of grace. God is not running out of mercy, but you are running out of time. For real. You have a limited amount of time. And what you do with that time will determine where you spend eternity. <laughs> I came to church and they told me, they told me I had a limited amount of time. Yeah, I've preached enough funerals to let you know God is not running out of grace, but you are running out of time. Do not think that you will live forever in this particular state. You will live forever in some state. But as long as heaven and hell are a reality, my goodness, 
you might want to get serious about the opportunity that's in front of you. You might want to approach life with a little more uh, sobriety and seriousness that this is not trivial. Now, the money you're making is trivial. Now, the promotion on your job is trivial. Now, the things that you're chasing after in sports today is trivial. But I'm telling you, like, there's, there, are, there's, there's a reality that's much greater than the trivial, trivial reality that's in front of you. And it is an eternal reality, which is why Paul says, man, make the most of every opportunity. Because you don't know how many opportunities you're going to have. You don't know how many opportunities you have left. How many weekends exactly do you have left? <laughs> how many vacations do I have left? Man, I'm telling you, like you start, you start numbering some things. Teach us to number our days. Why would I do that? I don't, don't want to know. Yeah, because, because it, it wakes you up. We avoid thinking about that. We avoid talking about things, about the end, because we're scared. And so, and so we think if we, can just, if we can just ignore it, it can go away. Well, God, I'm 39, and man, it's not time to ignore it. How many weekends do I have with my kids in the house before they're in college? I guess 700, <laughs> right around there, 700, 800, something like that. It's, it's, and yeah, how quickly do those weekends go? How quickly do those weeks go? How quickly do they fly by? My goodness, it's time to seize every opportunity. It's time to wake up. And you're watching online. It's time to wake up and seize every opportunity. Stop making excuses. Stop telling yourself you're going to get better. Stop telling yourself you're going to make changes tomorrow, next week, next year sometime. Stop telling yourself it's going to, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm changing, I'm, I'm getting better. And No, you're not. You're going like this. Stop it. There's, there, there is, there is, there's opportunities in front of you. Make the most of those opportunities. And Paul, this is in the context of prayer, though. And he says, let uh, be wise as you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every single one. And then skipping down to verse 12, I want to talk about one of the heroes of the faith, Epaphras. He says, Epaphras is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, and he sends his greetings. Epaphras is the one who planted the church in Colossians. He's the one who started it. He's not with them anymore. It seems he's with Paul in prison, whether he was also imprisoned or whether he voluntarily joined Paul. We don't really know, but uh, Paul wants them to know that Epaphras sends his greetings and that he's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm, and that's key, in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and those that Laodiceus and Heropolis. He's working hard. How is he working on hard? Through prayer. Prayer is work. Prayer is labor. Prayer is, prayer is the fight. Prayer is, I guess, the fight before the fight. I want to go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 6 where there, where there is a bit of a fight. And I just want to read this, this story and just share from this story here over the next few minutes. Because I believe God wants to speak to us some things about prayer. The first, my first point is that prayer is preventative. By prayer, I mean, uh, just, just, just so you know, I, I, I mean fellowship with God. I mean communion with God. I don't mean uh, praying for your food. Um, I don't mean praying before bed. 
Those are all fine things to do, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about fellowship or communion with God. What's that? That's when you take time out of your day. Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 15, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's four hours, but you take time out of your day and you fellowship with God. You speak to God, kind of like the song that, that, that we were singing. You sit with God in his presence. You hear from God. You say, I don't know how to hear from God. Well, here's, here's the wonderful thing. Nobody had to, when, when you were born, nobody had to teach you how to hear. When you had ears that worked, nobody had to teach you. So this is how you hear. You don't start with Braille and then move on to hearing if, you, if your ears work. Now, if you are, have, a, have a handicap or your ears don't work, then, then absolutely you have to find other ways. But if you have ears, this is why Jesus constantly said, he who has ears, let him hear. Because it's not a secret formula. The formula is getting the ears. When you, when you receive ears, when you're born again, born into the kingdom of God, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say that's because Pastor Harry told them the secret way as to how to do it, but just because they are sheep and they have ears. And when you have ears, you hear. Now, there are some special ways, uh, some knowledge, I think there's some revelation as to how to practice hearing and how to work on hearing and how to hear better. Uh, and actually, we're talking about maybe preaching on that here in the new year and in the, in, in the coming year. So, hey, I'm going to give you a little, a little, little precursor to that. Uh, but hearing from God, it starts with setting aside time to hear from God. You'll never hear from God if you don't spend time with him. And so prayer is spending time connecting with God. And this is what we tell our kids. And we have our kids go and pray for 15 minutes in a day because it's important. That even if they don't hear anything, that they are preparing space for God to speak to them. And that they're preparing space for them to speak to God. When I was uh, seven years old, I was six years old when I uh, put my faith in Jesus. And then I was, uh, I guess I would have been eight years old when mom and dad pulled us out of, of school. Pulled me out of Christian school because they felt God was leading them to homeschool us. And so um, I had gone to, I started late because... That's how I roll. Um, I, I went to kindergarten and first grade. So I had just gone through kindergarten and first grade. Peter was turning five. He was about to go into kindergarten. And, and, and God spoke to mom and dad about homeschooling us. And so uh, the purpose, the purpose really wasn't so that we could have a better education. Although, I mean, I guess you, some homeschoolers are really into that and that's fine. But for us, the home, we, homeschooling purpose was for the presence of God uh, to be in our home and to be, and for me and Peter to, to grow up in that influence. And so mom, mom had quit her job um, back when I was born. And so she decided to take on this, take on this task of, of schooling us at home. And at uh, first she was super official. Um, you know, we had little desks that she had bought from some school that had shut down. We had these little flags, a little American flag and a Michigan flag. And every morning at like 7.30, we'd stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag, the United States of America. We'd do the whole, the whole pledge thing. I mean, it was real official. Um, but mom found out pretty quickly that um, you don't have to be that official. Uh, actually, like when you're homeschooling, you can get through stuff so much quicker than you can like in regular school. You don't even have to start at 730. So uh, some things kind of start. Yeah, freedom. Woo. Uh, man, break off those chains and uh, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. And so you, got, you, like, you don't even have to get dressed, actually. 
You don't have to be at a desk. You, don't, you can be in your pajamas. And so anyway, I'm just, these are some benefits of homeschooling uh, that I got to enjoy. Now, 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 the cool thing is, like, when you, when you, when you figure that out, then you, it's, it's easier for a teacher, a mom, to teach two kids as opposed to a large classroom, right? So that's part of the reason why it moves so much faster, uh, because you don't have, like, one teacher and 5,000 kids. So uh, it's a lot easier when it's just two kids, and, uh, and, you, in, and you live with them all the time. And, and so there's a lot of ways that, that make it quicker. And so what happened was mom got to keep her, 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 her religious devotion to, um, to lunch with her sisters uh, and, and some of her girlfriends. So, I mean, like every day, almost every day, we would go to Diana's Sweet Shop. It's now closed down, but it, is a, it was a sweet shop. It was a sweet shop. It started in the 1920s, and it was preserved right on into the 90s until they shut down. But almost every day at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, that's why I have a sweet tooth, honey, because, like, the whole front of the sweet shop was all sweets. It was, it was, it was candy. It was all candy, baked goods, cookies, donuts. I mean, and so every day, that's what I, that, you, what, what did I have for lunch? I had two cookies and a plain bagel toasted with lightly buttered and a chocolate milk. That was my lunch. I still remember the order. I told the, I told the lady that every day. And I'd go up to the front and get a couple of cookies. They'd warm them in the microwave. I'm surprised my eyes still work because I would be right up against the microwave, you know. <laughs> Anyway, this is back in the day. And so they let, let, let Peter and I back there because we were close. We knew everybody there. And uh, so that was our thing. But, but, but uh, right around that time, the pastor of our church, uh, his son, who was associate pastor, started having noon hour prayer meetings during the day um, from noon to one. Um, now, you can imagine, not a lot of people are able to join those, obviously, and really not a lot of people even want to join those, and, but my mom was one of them, and so because we were homeschooling, we got to go um, from noon to one, and we would pray, and I was real quiet, and mom would be like, doesn't matter, you're going to pray anyway, just go pray in a corner somewhere or whatever, like you have to pray or you have to spend time like writing in your journal about what God is saying to you, you know, and so we spent that. Well, then after a while, mom figured out that she could actually drop us off early, with the associate pastor, because he prayed from, it was something like 8 in the morning until noon hour prayer. So he'd be praying in his office. So mom would drop my brother and I off in his office at around, I don't know, 10 or 11. We would be there for an hour or two praying while he prayed. And so he's, and that's where I learned about A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy, because he would read stuff out loud while he was praying. He'd read and pray and and so, and so when, I, when I tell you that fellowship with God is important and connection with God is important, I'm not, it's not because I read it somewhere. It's not because, uh, you know, uh, some YouTube preacher said it. It's because actually when I look back on my life, the saving grace of both my brother and I, the reason why we are close to God, the reason why we're following God is because mom and dad made sure to put us in a position where we were around prayer and praying a lot. Now, now, did it cost them? Oh, yeah. Did it, was it, was it sacrifice? Absolutely. Did, did mom have to figure out how to do school around that? Sure. Did, you know, were, were we late to Diana's sweet shop occasionally? Absolutely. Was it, was it, was it costly? Because we would have, we would have those prayer meetings, but we'd also have some evening prayer meetings. Did we have school the next day? You bet. 
And that's actually when I was in Christian school. One of the, one of the greatest moments in my, in, my, in my childhood life with God, and I'm seven years old, I'm in Christian school, and this is a school night, and prayer's going long, and mom's like, well, you just, 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 just go pray. And so Peter's praying loudly somewhere. I hide behind this little, there was a tent like sign in the sanctuary. I huddled up in there, squatted down, and I was pretty tired. And I think I fell asleep. I don't know. But I was, I was dreaming about Super Mario Brothers because that was my seven-year-old brain. And uh, Super Mario Brothers was the, I mean, that was, that was it. That was legit eight bits of power. Um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm dreaming about it. And then suddenly, like, Super Mario is, like, off my mind, and I have this vision of Christ standing in front of me. And I, I don't know if I was dreaming. I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know. But I just, Jesus is there. And at the time, I was also taking karate lessons. And so they, they had just taught us that when you go up for a battle, like, like if you go up to an opponent and you want to fight, like you do this bow thing, I think. Uh, Scott would know a lot more than me about this. But I think, I think you bow and then you get in position and then you go for it. But they said if you, if you go to an opponent and you don't want to fight them, there's this hand signal thing that you do. I think it's like one hand up and one, I don't know. There's like this, this, this sign that you make and that means, no, I don't want to fight you. And so I had this vision of Jesus and he made that, he made that sign to me. And, you know, coming up to me, he said, I don't want to be your enemy. I don't want to fight you. And, man, I just began weeping, and I woke up, and I was like, what in the world? Like, Jesus wants to be my friend. Jesus wants to be at peace with me. Because you hear, you know, you hear all these horror stories of 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds just, just, you know, well, you have to rebel against God. You have to do all this nonsense. And yet Jesus told me I didn't have to do that. Jesus told me he didn't want to fight with me. Jesus told me he wanted to live at peace with me from that point on. And so I'm seven years old, and now, so you can't, one, you can't take that experience away from me, but two, you can't manufacture that experience. (laughs) Parents, you can't manufacture that. There's nothing you can say to your kid to do in the heart of a kid what one moment in the presence of God can do. There's nothing, and, and, and that's, 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 that's true for you too. I'm standing up here talking to you. There's nothing I can say. There is nothing that can happen in this worship service that can take the place of one moment of a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the greatest revelations don't happen in this room. The greatest revelations, the deepest moments. That's why, that's why the song that, I mean, I'm just, I'm just singing about my, my walk. I don't need to hear from you. I don't need to hear you singing. I don't need to feel the rush of everybody all singing. I need to hear the voice of my Father. That's the most affirming thing in all of my world. I like, it's great that you like me or don't, whatever. But, but when my Father speaks to me, and I mean my heavenly, I don't, need my, I don't even need my earthly Father. Because there's a time when He's not even going to be on this earth. And He's not going to be able to speak to me. But my heavenly Father... This is what I need, and this is what prayer is. Prayer is setting aside time to have communion with my heavenly Father. And you say, well, I tried that, and it didn't feel like that. Well, absolutely. The first thousand weekends of me trying it didn't feel like it either. The, 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 I mean, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a formula. It's, it's a relationship, and, and it's the commitment to the relationship. Paul says, devote yourself. Devote yourself to prayer. He didn't say, try it. Prayer is not your weapon. Prayer is not uh, a shopping list. Prayer is not the way to get what you want. Prayer is not when you're in trouble. Prayer is not the thing you do when things are difficult. Prayer is not the thing you do when things are heavy. Prayer is the relationship that you maintain before things get heavy, while things are heavy, and after things get light again. 
It is not a first aid kit. It's not a band-aid. It's not a doctor you go and get surgery and get fixed. It, prayer, is, prayer is the battle. It's not a weapon. It is the battle. If you're not in prayer, then you're literally not even in the battle. You might have the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the feet with the spikes on them, the preparation of the gospel of peace and the belt of truth. But guess what? None of that is prayer. None of the armor of God is prayer because prayer is the battle. It is the battle. It is the battlefield. It's not one of our weapons. It is the battlefield. And if you're not entering into prayer, you're not even entering into the battlefield. And here in 2 Kings verse six or chapter 6, verse 8, we see a man who's trying to enter into the battlefield. <laughs> and he's entering into it through prayer. It's so, it's so awesome. In verse 8, it says, Now the king of, of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he'd been strategizing and planning for some time. He said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Then the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that particular place because the, Ar Ar the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked the place indicated by the man of God time and again, multiple times. Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. He was on his guard in such places. Epaphras was praying for them so that they would be on their guard, so they would be watchful. I'm thankful for people who have been praying for me so that I would be on my guard in such places. Because you, yeah, prayer is preventative. It, prayer will keep you from places that the enemy has set up to ambush you. Notice the enemy is not trying to face the king of Israel head on, toe to toe. He's trying to trap him. He's trying to move in secrecy. And what prayer does, prayer alerts the king of Israel to where the enemy is and what the enemy is doing. And so if you're not in prayer, you're going to walk blindly into difficult places. But even as a teenager, my times in prayer, God revealed so much to me about particular relationships, particular girls, particular places, particular things that I needed to avoid, that I could avoid. And so he saved me from even being ambushed by the enemy. Prayer is preventative. It will prevent the attack of the enemy in many cases. And this is what's happening. Elisha's praying, God's speaking, and Elisha's telling the king, this Verse 11, enraged the king of Aram. The enemy hates it when God's people pray because it destroys, it, it, it uncovers his plots and his traps. It reveals his motivations. This enraged the king. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Who's the whistleblower? Just trying to make it relevant. I don't know. Who's the, who's, 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 who's telling the king of Israel, who's here, who's the spy? And none of us, my lord the king, one of them says, said one of his officers, but Elisha. I don't know how this guy knew this, but anyway. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> this is what prayer does. It's the very words the enemy is speaking in his bedroom. The very, now that's not just, that's not just strategy. <laughs> that's not, that's, Elisha can hear you snore, man. He's, he, he knows about your snoring problem. Uh, and, and, and he says, because, because God is telling him, and this is what God does. God shares his secrets with his children. And, and so, so the king says, 
Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dotham. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, this is his helper, it's his personal assistant, the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. <laughs> and, he's, and he freaks. Can you imagine being that guy? You, you, you wake up one morning, go out, and you're just doing your morning thing, going out of the city, probably to fetch water to bring back into the city is generally why he would be going out of the city. He goes up to the gates and suddenly there's a horse and it's kind of dark out and there's several horses and chariots and, and soldiers and they're from the, from the, the enemy. And he's like, holy cake, whoa. And suddenly he realizes the whole city is surrounded with this army that's coming in like this. I don't know if you've ever been like that. I don't know if you ever woke, woke up one morning, everything was good the night before, but the next morning suddenly you're surrounded. And the enemy, see, while you were sleeping, the enemy was marching. This is why you got to seize every opportunity because you don't know what the enemy's doing while you're sleeping. The dude went to bed feeling like things were great. And he wakes up completely surrounded. And he goes back to Elisha and he's like, hey, hey, how come God didn't tell you about this? God's been telling you about where the king's going. He's in the bedroom apparently. But um, you missed a pretty important maneuver. That is, everybody is now surrounding us. How come God speaks to you about the king, but God doesn't speak to you about your own house? Well, that's because prayer is not just preventative. God it doesn't just speak to us in prayer to save us from several instances. Prayer is also prescriptive. It is, it is what is needed in the moment of need. It is what is needed when you wake up and you're surrounded. Because God will sometimes speak to you about other people and about ways to help other people. But when it comes to your own house, <laughs> sometimes he'll let you walk out in the morning <laughs> to a little shock you step out of your bedroom and it's, it's a bit of a shock and it's some yeah there's some water there yeah uh circa four years ago when I woke woke up at 8 30 on Friday before Halloween and uh, we had two and a half feet of water coming in our door sometimes it's a little bit of a shock and look what he says look what the servant says to Elisha he says what shall we do isn't that always the human question? I'm in trouble. What shall I do? What action should I take to fix this, to remedy this? And the prophet never gives him anything to do. <laughs> God rarely, it's not that we don't have a part to play. But he tells them instead something to be and then something to see. He says, do not be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Israel. So the enemy that was surrounding them was actually surrounded by the army of God. Now, 
how did Elisha see that? Like, this is, this is my question. Elisha's a man, Scripture says, a man like you and me. He's not God. He's not Jesus. He's, not, he's, just, he's just like us. How did Elisha see that? How did he know so quickly? How, 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 come, how come he didn't have to go into prayer right then and there and say, Lord, what's going on? It's, it's, my, it's my opinion that he was in prayer before that moment. It's my opinion that maybe the night before, that maybe while the enemy was marching, Elisha was praying. And maybe he said, Lord, open my eyes. Because he had to pray for this guy's eyes to be opened. Well, he had to pray for his own eyes because he's not God. He needs for God to open his eyes as well. And I, and I wonder if he was just out there at night wandering around. He probably prayed at night like I do. He sleeps in in the morning and prays at night. And so he's wandering around and said, Lord, just show me what you're doing. Open my eyes to see what you're doing. Because I know some people that they think they're really great prayer warriors. And all they ever do is ask what the enemy's doing. Just what's the, what's the devil doing? I need to know what the devil's doing. The devil's doing this and the devil's doing that and the devil's doing that. Okay, that's preventative. But the problem is preventative doesn't always work around your own home. And so you can, you can, you can, you can call out what the enemy's doing around other people, but you, but you are shocked and surprised when the enemy starts surrounding your own home and you're, and you're, you're freaking out. What should I do? What should I do? And, and the, the thing to do is that, yeah, okay, ask the Lord what the enemy is doing. May I, be, may I see his traps and avoid them, but also what are you doing? What is heaven doing? Because those soldiers, those fiery chariots that the, that the servant saw, they didn't, like, they were already there. He didn't see them coming down from heaven. They were already there. And so it's just, maybe it's just me, but I imagine Elisha was walking around the night before and he wanders around. It's like, God, oh, what are you doing? And, and that's when chariots are coming down from heaven and flying down and surrounding him. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm getting some reinforcements for something. God's moving. God's surrounding me. I'm telling you, like, it's, it's, it's okay to have a consciousness of what the enemy's doing is okay. But to have a consciousness of how God is surrounding you and moving and positioning different people and places and resources in your life, that is, that's the prescription that you need. It's not preventative always, but it's the prescription. And so Elisha goes to bed knowing he's surrounded. And he sleeps really good. And he hears his, his, his servant come running in. Elisha, there's an army out there. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's, no, 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 no. It's the, it's, it's the guys, it's, it's, it's the enemies of, of, of Israel. What? And Elisha's surprised because he knew there was an army out there. He just, he didn't know about the bad army. He just knew about God's army. And so the servant says, yeah, come on, come on. And so, so, so Elisha peeks his head out the window and sure enough, there's, there's all the bad guys, all the enemies. And he says, oh, okay, well, that's fine. And the servant's like, what do you mean? What do you mean that's fine? Because there's something that Elisha knew before the tragedy struck. That he could still see even after tragedy had struck. And he said, well, oh, that's right. You can't see these guys. You don't, you don't see. Oh, you, 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 you just see that army. You just see that person. You just see that circumstance. You just see that failure. Oh, you don't, you don't see, the, you don't see what, like, how God is 
positioned and, and surrounded and, and empowered and engraced and, and moving and, and sustaining and faithful. And you just, you just see, oh, oh, oh. And so he prays, Lord, open his eyes. Not his imagination, just his eyes to see what is literally there, what's literally surrounding him. Elijah says, let him, let him tune into what I see. Because there's so many things that will seek to distract us from reality. It's so important that we see reality before we see the enemy. Which that's what, that's what prayer is. Prayer is a look, a glimpse into the reality. I don't have time to finish out the story, but there's an old poem that... Uh, that always spoke to me. And if I can just have the worship team come up, I'd like to spend a few minutes in prayer right now. There's an old poem that spoke to me uh, when I was growing up, and it says that there were three men walking on the wall. I think I've spoken about this before. Three men walking on the wall. Uh, feeling, faith, and fact. You have, three, you have three people in your heart right now, in your mind. Feeling, faith, and fact. There are three men walking on the wall, feeling faith and fact. You know, it's tough to walk on a wall. It's narrow. And it says that feeling took a great fall. Feeling took a great fall and fell off the wall. And faith was taken back. So close was faith to feeling that faith almost fell too. But fact remained and brought feeling back to faith. Let's say that again. The three men on the wall, three, three people in your life, feeling, faith, and fact. All are important, by the way. God created all of them. But the enemy will hit feeling. The enemy will hit offense. That's feeling. The enemy will hit uh, bitterness. That's feeling. The enemy will come at you, and, and, and feeling will threaten you. Feeling often will take a fall. And because faith and feeling are so connected... Your faith is always holding hands with feeling. That's why, that's why worship is emotional. That's why prayer is emotional. That's why you feel the presence of God, because faith and feeling are always holding hands. And that's good when you're in the presence of God and you feel him. It's not so good when feeling takes a fall. When feeling falls down, he's holding hands with faith, and faith is up here struggling to stay on the path. That's why your faith can't just hold on to the hand of feeling. It also has to hold on to the hand of fact. Yeah. Because, because facts, <laughs> truth, reality, these things are consistent. So what are, what are the facts? How do you find the facts? You find the facts in the Word of God. You don't find them on the news. You don't find them on Facebook. You find them on the Word of God. You don't find them in your friends. You don't find them in your family. You find them in the Word of God. You don't find them in your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge truth. He is the way, the truth, and life. In all your ways, speak truth. When you see the enemy surrounding you, speak truth. Talk about the, the, the God who is surrounding you. Speak truth. Because, because the Word of God and prayer help us establish what is fact, what is real. And so many times what we just need is for God to open our eyes. You don't need to do anything. You just need to see something. If you could see what God sees, you would realize 
what you need to do. It would become clear, it would become evident. So I'd like for us just to spend some time in prayer. We've been talking about praying. Let's go ahead and pray. If I can have some of the prayer team just, just come down here and stand at the front. Sometimes it's helpful, especially when you're starting off, like me at seven years old, to go around people who can pray and to pray with people who can pray because you don't really know how to pray. That's why we have the prayer team up here, not because they're special, just because they've been praying for a while. They can help you out. Take your hand, pray with you, pray over you. So let's just take a few minutes right now. To, if you want to come forward and just take the hand of one of these ladies and pray with them, have them pray over you. You can be as you can be detailed if you want. Non-detailed doesn't matter. But if we can worship and lift up Jesus for a few minutes, connect with Him. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Only by your name we can come into your presence, through the blood of Jesus, into your presence. We can have access to you, connect with you, and you can speak to us. You can open our eyes. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes. Open the eyes of City Chapel. Let us see what you see. Let us see reality. Let us see what's happening truly, the ways that you're surrounding us and what you're doing in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.